0: everyone my name is Greg and welcome back to the podcast my first season in this podcast i interview travel writers and people who work for resorts hotels cruise ships and airlines and we'll talk about their experience in travel and tourism my guest today has lived a very very interesting life he's got his own blog he's he's got twitter he's got instagram facebook he is known as wandering earl but it's just a brief brief uh, history of wandering earl on christmas day 1999 he left the usa for a 3 month post grad trip to southeast asia the idea was for him to backpack around Thailand, Cambodia, and Vietnam, and then return home and start a career in the sports industry as a sports agent. When he landed in Bangkok, he only had $1,500 US to his name, and that was all. The adventure has continued and has now involved over 100 plus countries on six continents as he has worked, lived, traveled, and volunteered all over the planet. He has been to India 30 times and has even acted in a Bollywood television show once. While in Bangladesh, he was kidnapped by inexperienced kidnappers for three days, and I'm really hoping he's going to share this story with us. Today, he works online while traveling running his blog, which you can find at wanderingearl.com, and an awesome small group tour company that he started back in 2012, Wandering Earl Tours. I'm going to be posting all these links in the episode description, so not to worry. He prefers to focus on the human interactions of travel and the life lessons learned along the way. These incredible aspects of travel are what keeps him going for 18 plus years. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone, Mr. Wandering Earl himself, Derek Barron. Derek, how are you, sir?
1: Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, thanks for... Thanks for agreeing to do this with, with a guy like you. It's so hard to, to, um, to know where to begin, but I actually do like to start with origin stories. So before you left the USA, you said you said you were going on a post-grad trip. Are you able to mention like where you were going to university and what you were studying?
1: Sure. So uh, even in my university days, I guess I bounced around quite a bit. I, I studied in, at Emory University in Atlanta, University of Massachusetts, where I'm from, as well as uh, a year over in Australia. And my whole focus, though, the entire time was sports law, business and sports law. So my goal was to become a sports agent. And yeah, that's what I studied. I even once I graduated had the connections already out in Los Angeles through some uh, family and, um, yeah, that was the plan. Take this short little three-month trip, as you mentioned, and then go back and get get right into the sports agent uh, world.
0: Was there a sport in particular, like basketball or football?
1: Basketball. Basketball was my would be my would have would have been my main focus. Always was interested. Always played. Even to this day, I still play when I can. But uh, yeah.
0: What position were you?
1: Uh, at the time, I was uh, forward, basically small forward. Most oh, okay. of most of the time, I played. Yeah.
0: Me too. All right. Ah, there you go. (laughs) So, uh, was this your first big trip? Because three months is a pretty like most people when they go, they go for two weeks, right? But you were planning to go for three months. Uh, Had you researched your trip at all? Like bought uh, photos? I don't know, backpacking guide or anything.
1: Um, so I did have uh, a Lonely Planet back then, but I honestly didn't do too much research. Um, It was pretty difficult back then, right? Apart from having the having the guide, it's not like I could have gone online and found all these travel blogs or travel websites that would have helped me and people who had been to these places and shared their favorites. Um, It was just very hard to find that obviously online in 1999. So um, yeah, I pretty much bought a a Lonely Planet, figured out how to get from the Bangkok airport to the center. I didn't even have any accommodation booked when I showed up at, you know, I think I arrived in uh, Bangkok at around midnight. And that was that. I just showed up and went for it. And uh, yeah, it was the longest trip that I had taken, obviously. And uh, at that time, and I just kind of, yeah, had my had my little guidebook and figured out the rest uh, as I went along.
0: And how long did that $1,500 last till you thought, okay, how can I get paid to travel?
1: <laughs> yeah, so it basically, I mean, it did last. I mean, once I decided to continue traveling uh, and, and not go back to be a sports agent, obviously, I started to budget as much as I could and, and started thinking about, so that was, you know, I would say it was about two to three months into that trip, uh, right about the time when I would have gone home where I was like, okay, well, obviously I need money to do this. And that's when I made the decision um, after meeting another traveler who made this recommendation uh, that I go to Chiang Mai, Thailand at the time, and uh, just put some posters around uh, the big university there and offered to teach uh, English unofficially. And that's what I did. And yeah, that somehow worked out. For I knew it. I had about a hundred phone phone calls within the first week, and I started setting up informal um, English teaching classes in random places around town. What was that like? It was pretty cool. I mean, it was just my first. It was cool on, on many different reasons. First, it allowed me to interact with so many local people that I would not have, you know, interacted with. It also gave me some new skills. I I definitely did not have much experience as a teacher of any of any type. So I was sort of figuring out as I went along how I could help these people improve. Um, and and reach their own English goals. And then at the same time, it was also just a big motivational boost. Whoa, like I just decided to travel forever and uh, quotes around that. And um, I actually made a decision and found a way to earn money and sustain myself, which again, at the time, it wasn't like you could just jump online and find millions of examples of people working and traveling around the world. It was impossible to find that then. So it was kind of a, a nice little, you know, motivational boost where so I was like, "Wow, this very much might be possible," and uh, and that's how it all started.
0: And at one point, I believe you had a, an Australian friend, or you knew someone from Australia who suggested maybe working aboard uh, cruise ships as a way to fund your travels, like be a yep. tour guide. Okay, so just just uh, one question, I was sure. wondering because a lot of my listeners worked in club med, so I was just curious that the thought of you know, because when I asked myself, "How could I you know travel and get paid for it?" Club med mm-hmm. came to mind instantly. Did it ever? Club Med ever come up? you ever gone to a Club Med? Uh,
1: it did come up as well when I was started to do that. When, when this person actually recommended cruise ships, um, I started to just kind of look at all the potential options. Club Med did come up. The, honestly, the main reason um, <laughs> why I ended up just going with cruise ships is because somebody put me in touch with somebody at Carnival Cruise Lines and said, ah, oh, just write to this person if you want. To. He might be able to help you get a job. That was like literally the main reason why. I, you know, somebody had recommended cruise ships, then I suddenly this connection and that's, that's why I went for it. But I totally looked at, at all the options uh, that were out there. And yeah, of course, club, club med came across.
0: So it had nothing to do with the money. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You probably, probably found out that the cruise ships paid a lot more. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that, that worked out well as well. (laughs) So did
0: you like your life aboard the cruise ships?
1: I loved it. Um, I think it's actually now that, I mean, now it's been a while, obviously, but I think it's a very underutilized uh, option for people who want to, figure out what they want to do, uh, in life, have some adventure, uh, network with people from around the world, gain some valuable skills and save money at the same time. I think it's, uh, I had, I, it's granted that it's not every position on there, but, uh, I did manage to become a tour manager, which was a great position. And again, all those things I just mentioned, just all the people that I met around the world, uh, you know, and networked with, I mean, that, that's, you know, something that's not often mentioned with cruise ships. It's just about, oh, the money and you you know, I don't know party and travel a bit, but there's so many other things. I, I obviously gained a lot of skills that I've used now in my tour company. When I was a tour manager on the ships, I gained a lot of skills interacting with so many different tour operators around the world and so many people, and um, I loved it. I had I had a great time. Where I ended up working for three different cruise lines over the years, pretty much in every corner of the world, and um, yeah, it was uh, it was a proper job and a proper job, proper income, and it allowed me to save up and um, and take trips in between contracts, and then. You know, when I decided to get off the ships just to, you know, pursue something else, then I, I already saved up and, and it sort of helped helped continue this life of travel.
0: As a tour manager, so is that basically when the when the ship is in port, you're you're taking a group on a tour of wherever the ship is landed? Is that is that what you no,
1: doing? so we're so we're as so most countries the rules that local people have to do that. So we actually are just organizing all the trips. So it's always with local tour operators in every port. Um, but we are the department that organizes and all the trips we decide which trips to run um, all the details about it and then there's local operators in each port that actually run the trips Um, so we handle everything from you know informing the guests of all the tours to obviously selling the trips um, making sure everything goes we're we're the face of all the trips even though they are run by local operators
0: was there ever like a uh, does anything come to mind like a tour from hell like a story that you'd want to share like uh, I don't know because <laughs> I've, I've been on my, sh- my fair share of excursions where just everything went wrong so do you is there one that, one that comes to mind? <laughs> I mean honestly it was everything
1: from we had obviously people pass away on the middle of trips we had uh, people showing up in the middle of nowhere on an ATV adventure and the guide that was supposed to meet them halfway on the trip and they hand over the guide like basically didn't show up and these people were stuck on a volcano in Hawaii I mean, obviously we had accident car, you know, bus accidents. Um, I had, uh, it's funny cause I would always, always get yelled at. We actually had one helicopter trip in Hawaii as well. And, uh, at the end, a guy came up to the desk demanding to speak with a manager and he pulled me aside and he's, and he said, I want you to know, I want my money back. And everybody on our helicopter wants our money back because you did not take us over Mount Kilimanjaro, like you promised. And we were in Hawaii.
0: Yeah, okay, I was just going to say, okay. (laughs) I
1: think you meant Mount Kilauea, which was the volcano they did go over. He's like, no, when I came to buy the tickets, your staff told me we were going over Mount Kilimanjaro. And we all want our money back. And I said, which one of my staff here said that? And he pointed to the one member of my staff who was literally Hawaiian. (laughs) <laughs> um and I was like I'm pretty sure he'd say Mount Kilimanjaro So I mean and they start screaming and demanding, you know, all kinds of stuff. It, it's pretty much nonstop. Wow. That was pretty a... much my job was to deal with all that.
0: <laughs> that's very re- reminiscent of my time in club Ed, actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, right.
1: I'm sure you're not surprised. Yeah. I,
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that is a good one though. I, I'm going to use <laughs> I'm going to use that one.
1: <laughs>
0: you promised me Mount Kilimanjaro Yep. I don't know. Is it Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa? Sorry? Is it Mount Kilimanjaro? Yes. Kilimanjaro. Okay, yes. got it. Exactly. All right. So he's not a fan Quite of Quite far off. So he's a big fan of the Toto song, then I'm guessing. Okay.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, All exactly.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I mentioned you've been to uh, India 30 times. So is it possible that, do you have a favorite country? Or why why did you go to India 30 times?
1: So first, I don't have a favorite country just because I really? feel like. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, because they're so different, my experience is different. And I really believe that with travel, at least for me, uh, it's the mentality, right? So it doesn't matter where I go; I can have an incredible, rewarding experience because it's it's about the approach versus what's actually there. Since, uh, as you mentioned in the beginning, the main part of my travels is to you know meet new people, interact with people, learn things, as opposed to just seeing the sites, Then the sites are secondary, and you can always meet new people, interact with people, and learn stuff about yourself, about the world, about other cultures in any country. So for me, I've had obviously fascinating places that have been, and places that really blew my mind. But it's you know, every country offers something different in a different way. So I don't actually have a favorite. India, I was just quite fascinated by. Um, that was probably the first place I went that was so different that I just was, my head was blown off. I was like, wow, this is, like, this is, it's going to take me a while to, to wrap my head around this and, and to, to figure out what's going on here. And uh, so I just kind of, you know, kept going back whenever I could in the beginning. And um, it's also a huge country. So I knew that I learned very quickly that every region was so different. Um, so I was sort of getting more comfortable traveling there, but still able to see other regions, which was almost like a new country. So it was a very good way to sort of step into some more adventurous travel for me at the time, as I was starting out. Honestly, I went on my own for about the first, uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe 12 times was 10, 12 times was personal. And the rest was, I started running my tours there. So that's one of my most popular destinations. So pre COVID I was running, you know, three to five tours there per year. And uh, that's, so I would say the last 20 plus times that I've been have been tour related. I also have a lot of friends there now and uh, just kind of stop by when I can. And did
0: they make you dance in this Bollywood television show? Please say yes.
1: No, unfortunately not. I I got offered one of those. It was for a a Pepsi commercial actually in India to be a background dance. I was like, heck no. But uh, I I ended up playing the role of a British police officer. So I just had to knock on a family's door, enter and... uh, unfortunately explained to them that their daughter was just in a car accident. So how's yeah, your, how's not your, quite dancing.
0: How's your English accent? Was it possible? Horrible and they
1: didn't really care. Okay, <laughs> They were just happy because they picked up another foreigner to play the other British police officer. And that guy was French, spoke almost no English. So I ended up with all the lines and he just stood <laughs> next to me.
0: Yeah. It just occurs to me as I'm talking to you and your 18 plus years of travel. Do you, is there like, how many languages did you, did you speak? Did you learn one enough to speak it fluently?
1: so spanish spanish Spanish? yeah just because i did study that in you know high school and college and then i've spent a decent amount of time in spanish you know mexico and uh spain and other central latin american countries so um yeah as far as other ones it's honestly a lot of people will always joke with me that i'm pretty good at about a four-year-old level of many languages, just because I don't spend as much time there, but I do try to learn, and then uh, I pick up what I can, but obviously then I move on, and I don't practice them, so it's difficult, but uh, so yeah, pretty good at at four-year-old level, two languages there. (laughs) Okay,
0: (laughs) so I myself traveled for 10 years all around the world, and uh, I spent a year in Australia, so I want Mm -hmm. to ask you about Australia. Now, you don't have to answer this question, but of all my travels (laughs) and my 10 years, I consider, I've always said Aussies are the nicest people in the world, and I'm from Canada, so That's (laughs) so yep, that, that's, there you that's, go. <laughs> that's the biggest compliment I can give on Ozzy is that they were nicer than Canadians. Did you find one place where you've been where you thought, wow, these are the nicest people in the world or any or top two? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, let's see. I would I would say Australia is definitely up there. I would definitely uh, definitely agree with you on that. It's a tough one. I mean, honestly, I've had such experiences that shocked me. I mean, Syria was probably up there as well. When I went to Syria, it was just nonstop. People invited me everywhere, stopped me in the street, thanking me for coming, welcoming me, taking me for tea. It was just like literally nonstop to the point where I had to extend, extend, uh, extend my two weeks there to six weeks. Really? Yeah, it was just incredible just I had a, it was 100% local experiences after I arrived just because I was just meeting people everywhere and people were inviting me to everything all the time and it was I probably know yeah that's probably honestly the top uh in terms of uh friendliness of just people yeah it was it was very eye-opening
0: where where have you been in Australia
1: uh in Australia I've been to uh Melbourne uh, I, I've been all over honestly I've been I've been everywhere except for Tasmania Okay. Which have was you, odd because so, I spent a lot of time in Melbourne, but never made it Tasmania.
0: So I meant I spent my year in the Whit Sundays. Did you get out there? Oh, nice.
1: Yeah, right. I got to the Whit Sundays. Yep. Okay. Uh, great. Absolutely gorgeous.
0: Okay, and I, I see by your blog you also went to New Zealand as well.
1: Yep. Yeah, a couple times. I think like three times now. Yep. Three yeah, times. Gorgeous.
0: Wow. So what's your uh, what's your do you have a go to jet lag trick or to avoid jet lag or like or is it just not affect you anymore? <laughs>
1: I don't know. I just, I think it does affect me, but I just incorporate it as normal part of my life. So I just deal with it. Yeah. I mean, now my main thing is like, uh, I just try to get wherever I need to be. If I need to be somewhere, I try to get there a few days earlier and just crash. That's it. Just so I don't have any pressure, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I haven't found a trick. Funny. Some com- a company just recently sent me their uh, magical CBD with melatonin jet lag cure so we'll see i'll try that out on my next long trip and uh, see how that goes
0: (laughs) okay and your blog you mentioned you've been to every country in europe except poland and belarus so are poland and belarus still the two european countries you have not visited yes any reason why you haven't been to poland
1: no yeah like honestly literally no (laughs) no reason at all just okay (laughs) just literally have not gotten
0: there saving the best yeah. for last
1: okay yeah i transferred <laughs> it through the airport uh in warsaw a couple times on polish a uh, lot of polish airlines but that's about it yeah just somehow didn't have the time
0: okay i'm chomping at the bit to know about the your kidnapping story in Bangladesh. are you willing to share that because uh, i don't sure. know anyone who's been kidnapped and i, I always yeah. love a good story travel story so
1: <laughs> sure yeah why not <laughs> if you
0: can tell me what happened
1: <laughs> all right well uh yeah, I was actually flying to Bangladesh from Thailand and uh, my flight was super delayed. I think it left, I don't know, six, seven hours late. And uh, in every guidebook, I did have like the Lonely Planet stuff I was reading. It said, if you arrive in Bangladesh, keep in mind, this was back in the like uh, mid 2000s. And um, yeah, it basically said, if you arrive uh, after sunset at the airport in Bangladesh, it's probably a good idea to just stay in the airport until sunrise uh, and not head out there just for safety purposes. So I arrived uh, pretty late around midnight and I was kind of like, well, I'm gonna go outside. And uh, yeah, first indication was that a a military uh, soldier had to unlock the lock to let me outside the airport. And then uh, I got pretty much surrounded by all kinds of taxi drivers, big group of taxi drivers. And they were all trying to get my business and I didn't know what was going on. It was super dark, we're in this dark parking lot, just me. I chose one taxi driver who spoke a little bit of English, and uh, he wa- he's like, all right, I'll take you over to my taxi. Next thing I know, uh, they put my bag in the trunk, and uh, five taxi drivers get in. I'm in the, they put me in the middle of the back seat, and they lock the doors, and off we go. And uh, that's when I started to think, okay, something's a little bit strange here. And uh, to make a very long story short, uh, they started off by stopping at the petrol station, gas station, forcing me to to pay to fill up the car. I was like, okay, I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe that's how it works here. And then they told me they weren't going to take me to the hotel that I told them I wanted to go to. Next thing I knew, we were in a huge slum in uh, in, in the center of the city, I guess, and uh, they brought me to a room in some nondescript building uh, where there was this guard guy, and i Basically, was in a room with cockroaches, had this really horrible bed and nasty toilet. One of the drivers pretty much was stationed outside the room, didn't uh, didn't let me leave. And this went on for three days. So basically, for three days, they took me to a couple different places and they tried to get me to go to ATMs and take out money. I just kept typing in the wrong pin code and saying it wasn't working. They didn't quite figure that out, uh, and they were not very experienced because. They didn't try to steal the stuff I actually had on me. Uh, they didn't. I mean, they definitely didn't try to harm me. They were just trying to get me to take money out and uh, continue to do this. So they moved me to a different place. I uh, was locked me in that room. They would take me out. We would try a couple banks. They would take me back. We would try a couple more banks. Take me back. Yeah, this went on, and eventually, at one point, they basically said, "Okay, the main like leader." He was like, now go get your bag. We're taking you somewhere else. I was like, okay. I went upstairs to get my bag. And this other building I was in, I saw down the hallway, there was sort of like a sort of fire, just a hallway with a door at the end um, with some steps going down. I ran down there, ran down the steps and out to the street. I grabbed the bicycle rickshaw and off I went. And that was the end of it. But uh, it was a pretty wild three days where confusion all around um, I ended up giving them some money, like a total of $200 that I had on me in the end. But that was about it. And uh, yeah, pretty much uh, after that, I took a rickshaw to the hotel that I wanted to go to in the beginning and continued my adventure.
0: I got to go back just to the beginning. So when that soldier unlocked the gate to keep people yeah. in, did that not set off a, a red flag?
1: or word? It did, but I was just like, <laughs> well, how bad can it be? I mean, I was you know, I don't know. I was just kind of. Oh yeah, boy. I don't know. Honestly, I didn't know. At the time, I was just like, whatever. I just want to get to the hotel. I just want to get to the hotel and and go to sleep.
0: When you got to, so when you got to Bangladesh, you weren't worried. But was there ever a country before you got there Were you ever a bit worried? Like, because I was, I'm kind of uh, surprised when you mentioned Syria, because I thought you know Syria and you know not to get too political. Uh, America yeah. don't don't have the greatest relationship. So I thought you would be more worried going to Syria than.
1: Um, so Bangladesh was the first place I went to that probably had more safety warnings and guidebooks than anywhere else. That was for sure. So that really? was the first one
0: Okay, I didn't know um, that.
1: That, that I went to back then, but all my other trips, I mean, honestly, now I've been, to, I've spent six weeks in Pakistan. I've been to Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, Yemen, all of them have been unbelievable. And all of them, nobody cared at all that I'm from the U S or whatever. I mean, I, you learn very quickly that that's politics. That's people separate it very quickly from, from actual human beings. And, uh, I found that pretty much everywhere I've gone. So uh, even though I've gone places with crazy warnings, I went to Yemen when it was crazy warnings. And uh, yeah, honestly, I don't get too worried because uh, I have enough experience now. I wouldn't suggest people going, you know, as their first trip, but I have enough experience in, in these kind of places and also enough knowledge to know that, uh, you know, people are fine with people. It's not, uh, the politics stuff is totally different.
0: You also went to... A, you visited a very famous uh, 1986 disaster zone called the Chernobyl exclusion mm-hmm. zone. So, what's yep. it like visiting Chernobyl?
1: I mean, it's fascinating. It's uh, I did stay there, so a lot of people go there for a day trip from Kiev. But uh, I did spend three nights up in the zone, uh, visiting all the pretty much the entire area, everything from villages to summer camps to school, everything you can imagine that was abandoned. Um, it's quite fascinating. Uh, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, it's incredible to walk around this and just see, like, I mean, it's just signs of civilization and just totally emptied out and all, so much stuff that has not even been cleaned up or changed since 1986. So it's amazing to see documents and dentist office with teeth molds that are still sitting on the desk from 1986. I mean, pretty spectacular to see that. I think the fascinating part for me is that you can also visit uh, some of the villages where people have actually either returned or never left. And you can meet some of them. And I actually, we went, but one of my, the guide that we knew had a friend who was one of the people who lived there and an, elder, an elderly fellow. And we went and visited him and his land and, and absolutely fascinating to see how they are still, still living there. It's not what you think. Like they actually, you have, you know, radiation devices on you. And most of the, in most of the zone, the radiation levels are no different than you would find in any major city in the US or in North America. So it's not like the whole place is just like, crazy radioactive there's certain little pockets and corners now that are still very highly radioactive but a lot of the um radiation has seeped down into the earth so it's it's not there anymore but still just it's airy it's spooky but uh definitely educational but again probably the most fascinating was to actually meet the people that work inside the zone and the people that live inside the zone
0: are you wearing any kind of i forget my ignorance hazmat suit when you when you do a, no. a, a trip there no not at all
1: okay. no no it's like i said it's like you can compare i mean 98 percent of the time it's no different than any city around the world um and basically what happens is you i mean they do tell you to wear you wear pants and long sleeve shirts but you can't really get into the places the places that are super radioactive like the most radioactive place there at the moment is like a i don't even know what you call it like a is it a tractor claw that was left in a field i guess and it's the guy a guide would stick the you know the device into that and it's like out of control if you spent more than five minutes in there you'd have some serious problems but that's literally inside the claw and you're standing one meter away from the claw and it's no different than anywhere else in the world
0: really wow okay yeah. <laughs> that's interesting
1: so it's not as dangerous as, yeah i mean it obviously it sounds like it it's a radiation zone but for most of the most of the land and the people who actually still live there the government comes and checks on them several times per year they test the land they test the people. Um, They test the vegetables, they test everything and it's they're allowed to live there because there is no it's really no different than anywhere else.
0: Okay. You went to a place I think most people dream about going, but the cost mm-hmm. and the the sheer magnitude of getting there are uh, are probably horrendous. Uh, I had a neighbor that I had a neighbor that went here. I'll mention it in a second. She only went because her brother paid her full trip. So you nice. went to you went to the Galapagos Islands. Yes. So wow, I don't know where to begin with. Gal- I mean, everyone dreams about going there. So how is the itinerary to get there? Um, from, from your starting point, let's just say, how many how many planes, ferries, uh, boats?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's so, it depends on what kind of trip you take, right? So, you obviously, most people fly to, uh, say, Quito or Guayaquil and on the mainland of Ecuador. And from there, it's just one flight to get over to the Galapagos. Uh, then it depends. One, like, I think it was about two and a half hours to get to the Galapagos. Honestly, it depends on what kind of trip you take. You can do it on your own and just fly to the main island uh, where there are hotels and stuff. And you can actually take say day trips to other islands and just so you're out there and you come back that's a very inexpensive but excellent way to do it uh you wouldn't be able to reach the most outer islands which some of them are quite fascinating just because it takes more than a day trip to get there but you can do it and you can see quite a lot and you know remarkably affordable compared to uh, say a a liveaboard boat uh, which i did do a liveaboard boat for uh, for about a week and that's uh yeah, obviously, that's pricier because you're on the boat the entire time and you do get to see pretty much all the islands as, you know, especially the the most remote ones. And uh, it's quite spectacular to, to have that experience. So I think that's the thing. No matter what you look for, there are actually ways to do it that are quite affordable. Yeah. And that are totally, totally worthwhile. Like, I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to tell anyone to, to fly to the main island and take day trips from there. I mean, it's even the main island, which actually has a town, restaurants, shops, cap, you know, and hotels. That one island alone is absurdly unbelievable, <laughs> and that's that's one that's totally populated. So, yeah, that's that's a great way to do it and to and to save a ton of money. Uh, in
0: your blog, you were so were you aboard the only live aboard boat? Because I think you mentioned there's only really one.
1: No sail. Oh no, sa-
0: okay. You were aboard, you were aboard the only sailboard, right? So, yeah, the only sailboat yeah. that could actually travel around the whole islands just with sail power,
1: correct? Exactly. It doesn't go with sail power because. <laughs> Uh, they use it every now and then, but the thing is with the Galapagos, everything is very strict. So if you're on a boat, uh, you have your itinerary set by the government, and you need to be, say, at this island at this time. If you're late, they don't let you to that island. Everything is very strict in order to protect the environment so that only certain amount of boats are there at each place at the right time, in certain positions, and if you miss your slot, you're out. So it's uh, so they don't actually use the sail power, but, uh, but uh, they do occasionally when we had a little bit extra time, but apart from that it was made, but the boat itself was pretty pretty awesome, I will say.
0: So when you get on the island, how, how much are you coached by the guides like not to touch anything, not to play with the animals, not to leave litter like uh, how 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 much do they go into great detail about? Yeah that?
1: a lot they repeat okay. it a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a whole orientation about it, uh, where basically they tell you, and then every day they they remind you. And each island has its own different things. Some islands you one hundred percent have to stay on the paths. Some islands you're allowed to go a little bit more off um, if you want. However, you always have to stay pretty much within, you know, within seeing distance of your guide. So you can't really you can't wander off on your own in any of the places. Are you allowed uh, to it's, fe- it's are you push.
0: allowed to feed the animals? No. Because no. your your videos, show, okay, so then the animals are just so used to people because the videos uh, you yeah. were filming, over there, I think there was a bird that came right up to you that was expecting something. Yeah. So I thought, okay, this is crazy. Either they're no. being fed yeah. or they're just so
1: used to people. <laughs> they're just so used to people. The way the guide explains it is that because the people are, you know, the rules are so strict and people are just there and clearly harmless that uh, the animals... Uh, Yeah, just kind of treat them as other animals that are there that they get along with. And that's it. So they, I mean, everything, every animal pretty much had no problem with humans being close. And, but yeah, there was no feeding, no, no touching, no, nothing like that. Yeah, allowed.
0: You describe yourself as a beach addict. You've been to the Seychelles, Maldives, Philippines, Caribbean. Is there the top beach for you that you were like, wow. Yeah. Was it it in Thailand?
1: (laughs) No, it was in the Seychelles. Yeah, it was the
0: Seychelles. Okay.
1: Yeah. Basically, the whole island of La Digue, which is the third uh, largest island, which is tiny. It only has, I think, a couple thousand people. There's no cars. You just bike around. Pretty much every beach on that island was, uh, yeah, on a a different level than any other beach I've seen in my life, which is a lot.
0: (laughs) So so you you must be like every time you look at a movie and there's a beach or anything, you've probably been there, right? Like you're looking at some (laughs) exotic location, some James Bond movie, and you've probably been there right
1: uh, a decent amount of them okay <laughs> also the cruise ships too right i bounced around all over the world going yep. to beach destinations on the ships as well so i saw plenty so yeah
0: yeah there's nothing like a nice beach huh? yeah absolutely <laughs> which, is, which is why i stayed 10 years in clubbed okay
1: yeah well, no, fair enough.
0: Well, well that and i hate winter so i guess do you are you a, yeah. do you like snow are you a snow
1: guy or no no, no? i no I, I will do whatever it takes to avoid it
0: Okay, so yeah, I didn't notice many snow destinations in your in your uh, blog. So do you actively like avoid winter in the countries you visit? Or, or, yeah, or are the winters relatively mild like Australia's?
1: I mean, yeah, if it's relatively mild, that's fine. It's more of, uh, I did try once to, to see if I could survive a proper winter in Bucharest, Romania. That was pretty brutal. So, I my, you know, minus 25 Celsius and uh, I did it. I survived. I'm alive, but uh, I won't be doing that anytime soon. Again, <laughs> that's for sure.
0: Why did you choose Romania? Uh, all the places.
1: Uh, I actually used uh, Romania was my base for about four years at one point. I was coming and going all the time, but uh, I just met a lot of friends there, and it was a cool place. And um, yeah, so I just I used it as my base for, for a while.
0: Okay. <laughs> are yeah. you are you able to talk a little bit about like when the pandemic started and and travel now? Like obviously you're still traveling. So how much harder is it now?
1: You know because yeah, it's of COVID? it's a pain. okay (laughs) so do you uh absolute pain right now
0: i guess you're getting tested all the time right
1: getting tested all the time uh some places now obviously let you in with the vaccination uh, card i mean i'm gonna guess the next month it's gonna start to open up even more i just saw that the netherlands is allowing say u.s citizens to come without anything no test no vaccination now you can just show up uh so i'm hoping more countries will start to but uh Yeah, you're getting tested all the time. You got to calculate the right, you know, periods of time because you need to test within 48 hours, some places, 72 hours, some places. You need this test, you need that test, whichever one it is. Yeah, you have to worry about flight. A lot of flights are being canceled these days just because, you know, there's just not as many as there were. and, And the demand is a little bit all over the place. So if you get a flight that's canceled and you took a test, that test might not be valid anymore. So now if you change your flight to the next day, so I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that you have to think about that I uh, definitely did not have to think about before you show up at the airport with all kinds of paperwork, filling out online health forms and everything. So I mean, it's just, uh, it's definitely not a seamless process anymore.
0: And did I read right on your Instagram? Did you actually catch COVID at one point?
1: Yes, I did it back, uh, back in last fall and when I was in uh, Mexico. Yeah.
0: Okay. But no idea really how how you caught it? You just assumed oh. you crossed paths with someone that had it?
1: uh No, I know exactly how I got it. Oh, but, okay. Uh, yeah, okay. it was at a dinner where everybody supposedly said they were being safe and and nobody had it. And it turned out one of the people at that dinner did have the symptoms and didn't want to tell anyone. And then she got checked uh, a little bit later and found out she had it. And pretty much most of the people at that dinner ended up with it as well.
0: Oh, so, so sorry to hear that. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was, yeah
0: uh you've also uh published a uh, how to live a life at travel e-guide correct um and correct. also you also have a get paid to travel work on a cruise ship and i think you've had a lot of success with, with both right
1: yes definitely yep and they all came they both came from you know just a lot of people curious about my own experiences and you know me wanting to put together something that would uh would help
0: so are people uh so do you get a lot of people reaching out to you wanting to do what you do
1: uh, i do get a lot of people reaching out um yeah, usually after I have a little bit of conversation with people, it turns out they genuinely, genuinely, generally do not want to hit the road for twenty-two years, which makes sense because that's that's I find is not what most people really want to do. It might sound nice, but uh, it's that's not very you know reasonable for most people. So I think in the end, it just turns to helping people you know achieve their own travel goals, whatever it might be, whether it's you know travel six months. Uh, whether it's you know travel a couple months every year, live overseas for a year, whatever it might be, that's that's sort of where where my attention turned to. As uh, yeah, definitely not not any surprise that you know living a lot, travel constantly is not is not for everyone.
0: Can you tell us a bit about your tour company, Wandering Earl Tours?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, back in uh, around 2012 or so, um, I just started having a lot of readers write to me and be like, "Man, you go to India a lot. I would love to travel with you to India. Is that possible?" And, you know, it just one day I was just walking around. And I just it just clicked in my head. I was like, why don't I just put together a small group trip and I can take people exactly as if I was traveling there myself. We'll go do all the stuff I do, meet with all my friends and do it. And I literally within a week I had uh, announced it and I didn't even really have a detailed itinerary. And uh, next thing I know, within 24 hours, it sold out. And yeah, that started it. And so that first tour uh, was in 2013. To india and that was one tour and then uh, now i run about uh, actually run over 20 tours per year not obviously not during COVID, but uh and to all kinds of destinations so about 15 different destinations um, all countries that i've been to and and they're all based on my own personal experiences so it's really small group very unique locally focused trips that are really nothing like a typical group tour we don't use big buses we don't uh, walk around with any stickers uh, or signs or anything like that and we stay at local places and we, we have all kinds of local activities. So yeah, it's been awesome. And I'm really looking forward because in, in a month, I'm heading back to Europe, uh, actually to Romania, uh, as we're starting back up again. The first trip now after COVID is uh, in Romania in August. No snow in August. Okay. Definitely no snow <laughs> in August. <laughs> actually, there might be in one place we go way up in the mountains, but I can, I can handle that for an hour. <laughs>
0: I have a travel question for you. At one point during my Club ed days, I was obsessed with getting bumped up to first class. Never happened. But uh, I would constantly quiz flight attendants on the best way to do it. So, do you have some trick or something? Have you ever tried to get bumped up to first class? Uh, is there yeah, any, uh... anything that works? Because I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what flight attendants told me. They told me to buy two or three very very expensive boxes of chocolate and give one to the cabin crew, <laughs> give one to the flight crew. Never worked. I did it. <laughs>
1: never worked.
0: I got great service, but I never never got bumped up. Not once. So I don't know what they were talking about so has it ever happened that you were able to get bumped up did you say
1: uh it has i find that it doesn't work with major major like the world's biggest airlines i find with like uh, north american airlines it's difficult with other airlines what i the way that it's only happened to maybe maybe that's happened about three times but it's all been from honestly social media so i would uh do a public post saying oh i'm looking forward to my trip with whatever say Turkish Airlines, uh, to whatever next week. And then I would send them also a private message just saying, Oh, just so you know, like I always fly Turkish. I love it. I'm flying with you guys again. And yeah, just something like that, just little message. And then the times that it's happened, I didn't know until I actually was getting on the plane and they would scan my boarding pass instead of the green light, a red light would come up and they would be like, Oh, and then they would just print out a new ticket. And suddenly I got up
0: here. Wait a minute, there's an actual light that gets lit? <laughs> yeah, when you do it when you go with
1: it with your boarding pass, it's like a okay. little green light comes up with your name. And this time it was red. Right. The first time it happened, I was like, oh boy. What's okay. happening? <laughs> yeah. so, so it turned out it turned out well.
0: Okay. So it's kind of like in uh, when you go to Mexico or Cancun and every time you go to the airport you press a button to see if you get searched, yeah, right. right? Okay. So that, <laughs> right. A, really random. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what about um, ho- what about hotels? Do you ever like uh like is there any way you get? Is it the same way you'd get a better room yep. in a hotel? Okay,
1: I see. Same thing, and it's okay. worked actually. Like one of the coolest ones I worked stayed at a hotel in in Oman, in Muscat, Oman. Just regular room, blah blah. blah. I sent them a message, posted online. Next thing you know, we show We had this the largest apartment suite, bigger than any apartment I've I've ever stayed in. And uh, yeah, it ha- I mean, they they do it. They're not wow. expecting anything. I don't promise anything. I just literally say I'm excited, and a lot of times they yeah that just that just happens.
0: Okay. Do you have any other travel tips for our listeners? <laughs> 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 Let's see. <laughs> yeah, is there
1: anything, is there anything that mean,
0: you like personally take on a plane? Like uh, that you, you have your staples like that you uh, think everyone should travel with, um, whether it's noise canceling headphones. Yeah. Or, oh, I was
1: just going to say, honestly, <laughs> that's, that's my one thing is there's, there's the, like the Sony noise canceling headphones that uh, pretty yes. much changed. That's one of the the last things that I bought that said drastically changed my life. Like that was uh yeah. I mean, that, that has made such a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I actually have like no work policy for me on planes. So I don't, I just try to relax and, uh, and yeah, no, the, yeah, totally. Those headphones are the way to go a hundred percent. No, I mean, one of my big tips that I'd say, if you're going somewhere new, honestly, is when you arrive at the airport is to just, uh, you know, you say you, you go through immigration customs instead of going outside right away or trying to figure it out, how to get to wherever you're going. i one of my biggest tips is to just sit down at a cafe for 10 minutes because i find that a lot of times we get off we're in a new place we're excited we're a little bit nervous we're a little bit confused so we're not thinking so clearly and that tends to be when we end up going with the maybe non-official taxi driver or we take the wrong transportation or we end up getting ripped off or something because you know we start believing people when they try sort of all kinds of tricks oh that hotel is closed i'm going to take you to this one blah, blah blah. we you kind of fall for a lot of that stuff just because we're not thinking clearly after a long trip maybe so I do find that spending ten minutes in a cafe, just getting your bearings, looking around, a lot of people who tried to, uh, you know, maybe offer unofficial text, they stop, they start to leave you alone because you're you're now just hanging out, and then uh, it allows you to sort of ask questions to the staff. How do I find the actual whatever that you're looking bus that you're looking for? And then uh, yeah, I just find that I make better better decisions once I once I do that.
0: Okay. I probably should ask you this question in the beginning, because your name is Derek, but you're known as Wandering Earl. So why did you choose the name uh, Earl for your yeah. uh, for your many sites?
1: Uh, pretty straightforward. My middle name is Earl. And honestly, growing up all through high school and everything, almost all my friends called me Earl. And uh, yeah, honest. When I started my blog, Wandering, Derek sounded Dumb. Wandering Earl had a nicer ring to it, and I never expected I was going to do anything with my blog, so I just thought it would be for family and friends. So I went with Wandering Earl.
0: Yeah, well, you're right. It, is. it does have a nice ring to it. It <laughs> flows.
1: It flows. <laughs> yeah, but it's much better. Wandering there yeah, that just, that's a little bit choppy.
0: <laughs> is there anything else you would like to say before we go about anything?
1: I mean, honestly, the only thing i like to say is just if anyone listening, you ever have any questions, I've, uh, you know, you know, recommendations or advice to always get in touch with me. That's kind of why I do is to interact with people. So uh, yeah, just you can always get in touch with me anyway, and I'm more than happy to assist as, as best I can. That's, that's kind of, uh, yeah, why I'm into this travel stuff in the first place. So uh, yeah, I like to throw that out there.
0: And as I mentioned listeners, I will be posting all of Derek's links in the episode description. So not to worry. And I'd like to thank you uh, Derek today for taking your time, sharing your great stories with us.
1: No, I appreciate you having me, man. That was uh, great talking to you.
0: Uh, That was Mr. Wandering Earl himself, Derek Barron. We'll see you all next week, everyone. Bye.